Hey Eisenstein my friends, and welcome to the I Give a Damn podcast. Today, we are talking all about money, your money. As throughout your career, whether you are a young OD, fresh out of school, maybe you're mid-career and have already figured some things out, or perhaps you're late in your career and looking toward retirement, each one of these stages presents with their own financial questions and challenges. So today we're gonna to discuss how to achieve your personal financial goals and how you can optimize and find financial success at each stage of your optometry career. Here to discuss finance with us is my guest, Mr. Ivan Mendrin. Ivan is a certified financial planner, the owner of Optometry Wealth Advisors, and the host of the Optometry Money podcast. And since most of us did not go to school for finance, you may be like myself and feeling a little unsure if you're on the right track. So I'm excited for this episode and how Yvonne's knowledge may be able to help you with your personal finance. So without further ado, hit that like and subscribe buttons and let's get into it with Mr. Yvonne Mendrin. Well, hello and welcome, Yvonne, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I think uh, you have you've, the first Yvonne I've ever met. And I, in my head, I remind myself like Egon Spangler from the uh, uh, from Ghostbusters. Got it. It's, okay. not, it's not Egon, but Yvonne. But so I am setting the, the bar for Yvonne's everywhere right from there. here on out with you. Okay. Well, welcome to the podcast. And this is a, a huge, again, just honor being able to speak with somebody. In fact, you're the first non-OD on the podcast, and I think you just have an immense wealth to be sharing with us, especially around just your passion, the world of finance, yeah. right? So uh, first, start off to our listeners and viewers, let us know a little bit more, um, just who you are, kind of how you found your passion and, and your business, and just tell us kind of how you got here. Yeah, I've been in the financial advisory world for... Um, eight years now, I think, um, through a variety of business models. Colt started a financial planning practice uh, about a year ago now, um, serving exclusively optometrists uh, all, all over the country and got into financial planning just because I was fascinated with finance and, and investing and, and all that went with that since, uh, since college and beyond. So it, it was never really a doubt in my mind which direction I wanted to go with my career. It was just figuring out where in the financial world I, I wanted to land. And uh, rather than sit behind a spreadsheet for uh, eight hours a day, every single day, it was, it was um, more interesting to me to help people make decisions with, with finances. And so that led me down the route of getting into financial services, the, uh, the financial advisory world. And then, um, yeah, here we are eight years, eight years later and uh, owner of a firm, Optometry Wealth Advisors, serving ODs nationwide. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's people ask me like, why, why optometrists, mm -hmm. right? Like you and I were just talking about that earlier. And, and, um, you know, I, I've just always been fascinated by, um, small professional service businesses, uh, always been fascinated by the, the, uh, different financial planning issues that professionals need to sort through. And then you add on a business on top of that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it's just, it's always, it's always been interesting to me to serve one group of people really well. Uh, that was a group I really wanted to uh, really wanted to work with. It was exciting to me, and so I just thought a whole lot about like who who are the people I'd want to serve each and every day. What what challenges were were exciting to me to work with, and um, the more I talked with optometrists and other professionals that worked with them, the more I uh, read about them, listened to conversations. Uh, it was just exciting to me, and, yeah. and I feel like there was a, a great fit there. I can provide value, and, and just as a profession. 
uh, optometry was underserved. So dove all in and haven't looked back. And I think it's, uh, it, if I put myself in your shoes, it kind of makes some logical sense, right? Here's these professionals who uh, at least make a fairly decent income, usually on average. Yeah. Uh, they have, you know, there's the ability to go into ownership of their own business. There's a lot of kind of cogwheels that kind of get thrown into it. A lot of it. decisions, yep. And uh, to, even from my own experience, it gets overwhelming. Yeah. Because I think most of us, we, especially being in any sort of a medical science field, you, you you're trained that there's a right answer. You're trained, you're trained that there's like an algorithm, there's math to it. Right. You know, and I don't think anybody goes in saying, uh, I'm happy being bad with my money. Yeah. Like, no, I don't think anybody has that. Well, no, I mean, just from the conversations I'm having, it's usually, hey, I, I really enjoy learning about money mm -hmm. and I really enjoy learning about finances, but there's just so much going on in my life, either with just professionally, with the family, kids, Whatever it is, I just don't have time to sort through all this on my own. Yeah. Like, I just want someone to help me figure out what do I need to do next with my money. Yeah. And give, uh, give me an easy button. Right. Like, it, it's, it's collaborative. It's not necessarily just here, take this all off my shoulders. It's, I just need some help because there's so much, there's so many decisions and, and so many other things um, competing for my, my time and attention. And I think uh, it's different for everybody, especially in, in the OD world. Uh, you have young ODs like myself who've yeah. either just recent graduate to bet between the first 10 years out of practice. You got the, some other colleagues I've worked with, which are closer to maybe 15 to 20 years out of practice. And then you have an older generation who maybe have been practicing for 30 years. Mm -hmm. They're about to sell up. They're about to sell their practice. And there's a, just different decisions to be made in all those different sections. Yep. So uh, I, I'm hoping that, I don't know, can you share a little bit, at least let's start off because um, we have some younger ODs who just joined our practice yep. that they just graduated like a few months ago. And I was there a few years ago and I still feel those, those stresses, those pains. Yeah. So uh, we, in, in your mind with these young ODs that you've spoken with or experienced with, what, what are kind of the, the feelings that they're going through? And then I would love to hear just your thoughts of what are kind of the top things they should be thinking about considering yeah and there's you know at every career stage there's certain things to think about driven by you know what's going on in your life and your mm -hmm. career um, but some of the things are consistent throughout your life so sometimes there's no clear like cutoff point to where you're thinking about one thing and thinking about another it's just the facts change a little bit and, and the same topics just continue on throughout your your career but for for a young optometrist well the first thing I mean let's Let's think about what's going on in your life. You've just graduated uh, a significant amount of student debt as the investment to get you in the profession. Um, you're trying to get into that first step in your career, mm -hmm. um, thinking about where you want your career to go next, uh, potentially looking at, at a lot of other life decisions outside of your career, marriage, buying a house. Um, you now have a, a pretty good amount of income, maybe for the first time ever. Right. Uh, maybe starting a family. So there's a lot of stuff that can happen within these first. I'm like getting overwhelmed. Just remembering I mean, there's there's those a days. lot of decisions that can happen <laughs> within these first five years, 10, even 10 years of your career. And, um, and so the first thing, really the first thing you just sort of want to think about as you graduate is, is um, try to get a good feel of like where your cash is going, where your money is going. Mm -hmm. um, cash flow, and you'll see this throughout all of your career, even if, especially if you decide you want to get into practice ownership, is is everything. Cash is money is going to be funding all of your all of the things you want to accomplish in your life professionally and and um, and and 
outside of your profession. And, and I don't mean to say like money is everything, but you, you need to have some sort of cash flow and, and be able to use that intentionally. Yeah. Right. So, so the first thing you just want to get a feel for as you graduate is, okay, now you've got an income. Uh, what does that income look like? You're not going to be able to keep everything. You can look at your pay stub and you're going to see, for example, if you're, if you're working at a, a, as a W2 employee, you can look at your pay stub and see, okay, there's a lot of stuff getting deducted out. What is that, right? So what, what is your gross income? What's coming out of it? Um, and then what's your net income going into your bank account? And what are you doing with that net income? Mm. Just get a good feel of that cash flow. And, and a lot of times it's, you know, people think, okay, it's budgeting. It's, I just, I want you to get a good idea of a good, really good feel of what's coming into your household and where is it going? And is that where you want it to go? Yeah. I think it's, it's, uh, it's good to be really intentional with how you spend your money. And, uh, and because there's a lot of priorities, there's student debt to tackle. Um, another thing that comes up is you want to start to build up a savings rate, right? You want to start to build up different things like, um, just cash in the bank, some liquidity in your life. You want to start to build up some investment for the future, usually through something like a 401k account at work. Um, you want to take advantage of an employer match. Usually they're going to match you dollar for dollar or like 50 cents on a dollar, for example, for the first 3% of your income that you put in. Yeah, 3% maybe. One experience I had was they did match up to 3% and then they did half a match to half a percent up to a total of like five. Five. Usually you'll see that. Yes. So usually you'll see just based on how 401k accounts work in favor, usually in favor of the owners that are uh, putting it together. Usually you'll see that match land somewhere around 4%. Okay. It'll, um, that's so good that's, to know. That's good to know. Just kind of in the ballpark. Yeah, it's usually that. it's usually for a smaller practice. It's usually going to land somewhere around four percent, just based on how the four hundred one k plan is going to work, and that's compensation to you. Mm-hmm. Like that's if you're not taking advantage of that match, it's compensation you're leaving on the table essentially, right? You're you're getting a hundred percent return on your money for every every dollar you put in, or or fifty cent, whatever that is. So, um, so you want to take advantage of that match start to get a feel for what employee benefits you have. And that'll look different based on where you're practicing. If we're practicing at a larger employer, like a uh, Kaiser, for example, here in California, or for a private practice, those benefits are going to look different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to take a look at what benefits are available to you, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's available to you in terms of your cash flow, what do you want to take advantage of? So employee benefits are another thing you want to take advantage of. Um, and also you want to think about like what are the basic, really basic insurances that, that you want to take, uh, take into consideration. These are like health insurances. Health insurance is important for everybody uh, that may or may not be tied into your employee benefits, mm. depending on where you're practicing. Um, but another one is disability insurance because as soon as you have an income, now you have something to protect. Where if, yeah, if you if, imagine how much we use our hands with holding a, uh, just, just as an example, like if you do get in a car accident, yeah. right? If you, uh, suddenly you can't work for a month, like that's that's going to significantly impact your exactly. income for that time. Yeah. Your family's going to be at jeopardy. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, hopefully you have some sort of a safety, um, like they recommend always to have, what is it, three to six Somewhere months? Somewhere around three to six months. Of a safety yeah. savings. So think about... Um, I guess we'll step back and call that like risk management. Like think Mm -hmm. about, okay, what are the risks in your life? And I think it's important, first of all, think of like, okay, in the short term, think of like one to three months, one to six months. That's something where you're really going to want to build up some cash in the bank if you can. You're not going to, you may not be able to all of a sudden save up six months worth of expenses. 
Uh, and that number is different for everybody, but that rule of thumb is somewhere around three to six months. Sure. And because if something happens, even if you're insured, usually you're not going to have coverage for those first few months, right? Mm-hmm. That's, so that's sort of your emergency fund or opportunity fund, depending on what, what you're looking at. I, I like the, the positive thought of yeah. opportunity fund. Well, <laughs> even if it's okay, it's an emergency fund, but if you plan for it, like if you have cash in the bank, it's not even an emergency anymore. It's just sort of like an inconvenience, right? Mm-hmm. So you, it's just so to prepare yourself, put some cash in the bank, build some liquidity into your life. So that's that sort of first step of like managing financial risk. It's just building up some cash. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's three to six months uh, of expenses. And, and then you want to insure against the things that are, that are unlikely, like not really likely to happen, but if they happen, they're catastrophic. Car, car just gets breakdown, total car failure, loss. Yeah, but even then, like a car, car failure, car expenses, like maintenance is sort of expected, um, but it's more like really bad health uh, incidents, mm. it's, which is where health insurance, especially on the more extreme end, is going gonna, is gonna to come into play. But even like disability, uh, like you can get short-term disability insurance, which is like that first couple months. But in reality, what's really going to destroy you financially is a long-term disability. Like you're not able to work from three months to a few years. Mm. Um, that can be catastrophic to you. Um, so that, that's really the thing you want to insure. Um, and that's where disability, like long-term disability insurance really comes into play. It's going to insure you like after, after that three year, uh, three month period and beyond, uh, is really where that's going to protect you for something really bad happening, even if it's unlikely, but, um, but it really protects that, that really extreme scenario. And same thing, another thing to, uh, to think about as you start to, um, get married, as you start to grow families, life insurance. Yeah. Where, uh, on the one hand, disability insurance protects you if you're alive and you can't work, protects your income. Life insurance protects you if, in the very worst case scenario, you pass away, something happens. Right. Um, so that's, then, then you have all that extra debt and all, maybe your, your, yeah. your spouse or somebody else who had, was depending on you. That's you know that's a shock and a half if you are to die. Like That's a lot of expenses just to right. bury somebody and then plus the emotional um, loss from that. But then they have to deal with the financial, like, yes. oh my God, what's going on? What am I going to do this? I don't know if, I don't remember if, if with marriage, do they inherit your, you know, $300,000 student loan debt or that? I don't well, know. if you, uh, that really depends. I mean, that really depends on what kind of debt you have. Federal student debt, for example, um, federal student le- debt will be discharged at death. Hmm. Right? So you're, uh, they're so maybe taxed depending on how the laws end up shaking out, but the debt itself will actually not continue after death. If you've refinanced, and you are now trying to pay it down as soon as possible. And we'll, I'll, I'll talk about student debt mm, in yeah, a second specifically. But if you were financed out of the federal debt system, federal student loan system, with a private lender, it depends. depends yeah, on how that, on it right, right. It depends on how that lender is treating that debt. You'll see that in the promissory note, how they will treat the debt in terms of disability, in terms of death, um, all the other specifics in there. But... That's another thing to consider when you're you're making student debt decisions. Is okay. How is this going to impact uh, me and my family financially if something happens to me? Mm-hmm. So life insurance, as you start to get financial responsibilities, if someone else is depending on you financially, that's another thing you want to look at. Um, th- these are some things you really want to work with your. If you're working with a professional, like really talk with them to see what the needs are in your life. For a lot of people, when we think about these risks, like life insurance, for example, like this is usually hopefully a temporary risk in your life, right? So you're from, from the day you have responsibilities through that point in your life where you're financially independent. 
That's really where you're, you're insuring yourself. So for a lot of people like term insurance, term life insurance is going to be a, a good option for you. It's not going to be overly expensive if you're relatively healthy and are young, especially. So, um, so yeah. those are those. That's where life insurance comes in as well. Some of those basic insurance needs that you can start to take care of. And we don't have to get too much of the weeds, but I know uh, I've at least again I am not an expert in finance, maybe like you are, but I've heard that you know there's term and there's was it there's term and there's like life life insurance. There is yeah. So term is sort of like a temporary insurance coverage. It's going to give you a flat cost for a certain amount of years, like 10, 20, 30 years. That's mm-hmm. for a certain term. Um, you're just buying pure insurance. Like there's nothing else added on to that. You're just covering that risk. There's also like permanent insurance policies, which are um, whole life, universal life. Uh, they usually have like a savings Account. component Account. added onto it, right? So um, so it's usually going to have a higher cost because you're insuring for your, usually your whole life, the contract will last for, right. for your whole life. So the cost is usually going to be higher. Um and there's sort of a factoring that as you get older, you're probably going to get heart disease. And even if you are not a smoker, you're probably going to get all these other health yeah. issues. So they're kind of like factoring in that expense and risk into, into the that. policy itself. So yeah, they, that cost of coverage for you internally will get more expensive as you get older. So, uh, but you know, again, thinking about, um, it, those are, those are tools. Those are just products and every product and tool has a place. Right. So talk to your, talk to your professionals, um, work with a good agent that you trust to figure out what's right for you. But the way I look at that risk, again, that, that risk of death and, um, and what that death will mean to your family, a lot of times that risk is temporary, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's again, when you, uh, when you have that first, have that responsibility when you're younger to that point in your life where you're financially independent. Mm-hmm. And for me, it makes sense to try to cover that risk as effectively as you can. A lot of times that term insurance is going to do it, but right. every situation is different. I can just speak from my own experience, uh, kind of early on when I was first getting into practice, I kind of had a similar, I talked to a financial advisor. They mm-hmm. started just kind of walking me through things. And I ended up doing that and ended up getting a term life insurance policy, which was great because I ended up finding out like I could get extreme discounts because I was so healthy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I could, I could take like a quiz about lifestyle habits and then they would yeah. send out a nurse to check my blood and uh, they give you a better discount based on how well you did. And so I ended up getting like a, basically like a half a million dollar policy to last asked me till I was, I don't know how many years for like $10 a month or something. It was really a- super cheap. If the younger you are, the healthier you are super cheap, especially females. It's super cheap for, uh, for a female, a little bit more for a male typically, but mm. yeah, uh, risk, we're more risk takers. Right. Right. I think right. That's the right. Statistically men will die earlier. So there's, there's a lot that goes into that, but, uh, yeah, they've, they've got their statistics figured out. They've got their al- algorithms yeah. figured out to price these, right. But it's super cheap the younger and healthier you are. So it sounds like early on, at least when you're starting off, definitely invest in the 401k, you know, try to get, try to invest that. sounds like definitely cover yourself with disability, life insurance, get that all under control, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of protect you. Um, you know, what, what other kind of, cause, cause I know when I was first graduating, I was concerned mainly about the student debt. Yep. How do I, how do I even figure out budget? What can I afford? Do I pay it off faster? Do I consolidate? Uh, I think that was a big decision. Do yeah. I stay? Because myself at the time, graduating like 2015, the interest rates for a lot of my loans were up to like 6.5% mm-hmm. or so, mm-hmm. some of my higher ones, mm-hmm. and the lower ones around four. Um, and I eventually did decide to consolidate with a private company because I was just motivated to pay things off as fast as I could, mm-hmm. get that rate lower and pay it off. Um, 
that's what I did. But uh, I, I would just love to hear your thoughts on kind of like the newer ODs who are graduating. Yeah. So that is the first decision usually you're going to need to make, like right after graduation, six months later, what are you going to do with this student debt? And uh, there's two major um, directions you can go with this, depending on usually, I mean, the main factor is going to be your amount of federal debt compared to your income, hmm. Ex- you know, even expected income throughout your career. That's usually going to be uh, one of the main factors to help you decide that. But you're either going to be paying it down to zero. So you're going to be paying it off as fast as reasonably can, uh, trying to limit interest on it, um, trying to get that off your balance sheet, paying it down to zero, right? Paying every, every penny of that debt off. The other alternative, uh, depending on, again, your debt level to your, um, to your income or expected income, is going to be going for some sort of forgiveness, uh, public service loan forgiveness is uh, is one of those options. It's not very common with optometrists, just because most of you will be in a um, a private employer, either a private practice or even uh, an entity, a larger entity that's a, a private corporation. So uh, that is a, a for those that are working at a nonprofit, um, that's an option as well. Uh, but most of you will, if you're going for some sort of forgiveness route, it's going to be that longer term forgiveness using an income driven repayment plan for 20 to 25 years, depending on which one it is. And a lot of that, I mean, this is really a personal decision. There is no, um, if you want to look at like a rule of thumb to figure out which way you're going, you know, if if your federal student debt is, let's say one and a half times your income, your annual income, um, that might say, okay, you may be a good candidate to just pay it down. Because forgiveness won't won't help you. You're, yeah. you're going to pay it down too too early. If you're looking at a, a one one and a half times your income or more, you know, especially two two and a half times your income of more of student debt, federal student debt specifically, then you may want to consider strongly whether that long term forgiveness makes sense. And and it's also um, there's a lot of life goals that play into that. It's uh, or do you plan to get married? Uh, are you married? Does your spouse have student federal student debt? Um, how uh, how large is your family size? Should yeah. you do you already have kids? Do, do you, you plan to have exactly? Kids? Um, do you file taxes separately or do you file taxes jointly? Mm. There's a lot that goes into that to really do it intentionally. And unfortunately, you're you're having to project out the next twenty to twenty five years <laughs> of life. Like so, so give yourself some grace that if you make a decision early on, like adjust. You know, because life will change. Even if you decide you want to pay it off, um, things may come up, career goals, life goals, and you just may, to, uh, may need to adjust your, your, um, your strategy for paying that debt down uh, as life changes. Because, and that's the same for all these financial decisions. You know, life will change, especially earlier on in your career. And one of the, things, one of the, uh, the other things you'll, you'll think about earlier in your career is just what direction do you want to take your career? Um, do you want to work as an associate? Uh, what setting do you want to work in as an associate? Do you want to work as an independent contractor? Um, do you want to get into private practice ownership? Is that a cold start route? Do you want to buy into an established practice? So you want to take all of those decisions in mind, especially when you're thinking about how to treat that student debt, because debt impacts those those other career goals. Right. And I uh, I think one thing one more thing I'll say is that don't don't make life decisions or career decisions based on student debt. Hmm. It's a make student debt decisions based on your, your yeah. career and life goals. It's a part of your balance sheet. It's there. It's a part of your cash flow. It's there. It's just another factor to work around, right? And 
uh, you know, one of the biggest things I, I, I hear is that, man, I can't, I can't get into practice ownership. As an example, I'll use this as an example because uh, because this comes up. But I, you know, I can't get into practice ownership because I have the student debt. Well, I, we have examples of people who have don't have a penny to their name and, and just have student debt, and they've cold started practices successfully. Um, husband and wife who have uh, student debt, cold started practices, or, or other optometrists who've bought into practices. It, it's it's happening. It just takes some intentionality and thinking thinking a little future, uh, a little further in your career. Uh, when you think about how to how to handle that debt, but it's it's definitely possible. I remember an, an older doctor I worked uh, worked with for a time. He always reminded me that it's this case of revolving debt. Yeah, you know, he he basically was to always took was taking out debts to do some sort of you know his practice was wealthy. He made good money, uh, but he would still take out loans yeah. to do like an eight hundred thousand dollar remodel for his clinic. Like, yeah. and then it just becomes this never ending wheel of different you know paying debts while making you know you make money you pay off debts he still again lived comfortably had plenty of money and um you know so he did well for himself but he was comfortable just knowing how the revolving wheel of income debt buying new debt paying off the debt like that whole revolving cycle yeah and he just kind of floated above it and knew that that would all kind of work. Debt is a blob that will change and morph throughout your career. Like early on, you're going to have student debt. You may be going into um, buying a house, so there's mortgage debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to get into practice ownership, unless you're doing like a um, sweat equity deal, buying into a practice, like you're probably going to have practice debt. Um, it will morph and change throughout your career. It will expand. You may have more debt at some mm-hmm. points. You may have less debt than others. Um and depending on like your cash flow, you may want to extend the term of the debt, or sometimes you want to shorten it and try to pay it down as quickly as possible. So, you know, I personally, I, I don't feel like um, someone's life goal needs to be to be totally debt free forever. Okay. I think debt is just a tool. It's just a source of money. It can be used prudently. It can be used really badly. It can be cheap at low interest rates, which we're definitely not seeing today. Or it can be expensive. Uh, it can be variable rate, non-variable rate, tax deductible, not tax deductible. So it's a tool and you just sort of have to decide as you're making decisions, okay, how much do I want to lean on this tool? Knowing my cash flow, like how does it fit into my cash flow, mm-hmm. uh, my career goals, my family goals, um, and and where does it fit in there? But it will change throughout your life um, and, and that's okay. But Everyone has different thoughts around debt and different thoughts around money, and there's life goals and family or values and family history. So there's a lot, especially around debt decisions. There's a lot uh, of non-financial, non-math related variables that factor into these decisions, mm-hmm. and you have to take that into account too. Like every financial decision is sort of this tug of war between. Um, between what the math says is likely to happen versus like what your values or emotions or family history says. And you kind of have to find the balance between the two. Sure, because you can argue about small margins, right? Oh, well, if I invest that money rather than pay it yeah. off, it's like, oh, there's a one or a half, two percent, you know, gain on by investing it. So it's actually a better decision there. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's leasing a car versus just buying it outright, even yeah. though you have the cash. There, there's thoughts like that. Because again, you could take that money and maybe invest it. Right. Uh, but I know even just speaking from my own personal experience, debt was something that I was uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it could be from just growing up, just the anxieties I had of like, gosh, I have this huge, huge number over my head. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I, for myself, for my own comfort level, I was on a mission. I'm like, I need to pay this off as quickly as possible. So I'd work extra hours, work extra days. I set, you know, that goal, like within seven years, I'm going to have this paid off. Um, and then just focused on that and focused on that and was able to do it, live cheaply yeah. within my means, um, you know, and just, uh, was able to pay that off and something I'm proud of. But, uh, for me, that was a decision just because I have a hard time dealing with that anxiety and that stress yeah. of just that number. Yeah. Even if it maybe wasn't the best financial decision, you know, at least now I, I have that kind of weight off my shoulders, yeah. that freedom. Well, so this that is where personal finance is, is personal, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you made a decision. Uh, you probably thought about the the other options you could have used with that money, and you made a decision. You were intentional about it. Could have put a game plan together, and you took care of it. Like yeah. that's that's awesome. I mean, that's uh, going back to that like intentionality. Okay, you know, think about what you want to do with your money. Uh, what's important to you? What are all the different factors that can take into it? Um, everything's about trade offs, yes. And you just sort of have to figure out, okay, what are my options? What's important to me? And I'll put my money there. Even spending, like, um, I think a really good way to budget. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to that 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 topic. There is is to start out with um, things that are most important. So let's say let's say savings. I us- I usually like to start with savings because uh, savings is something you can automate. Uh, it's beneficial to your your finances over time. So start your budget with with the most important stuff that you want to put it to. So let's say uh, you you list out all your uh, the money that's coming to your household. The first line item on on where you want to put your money can be saving, right? Mm-hmm. So get your your ideal amount you want to save each year, and then put after that comes like the necessary things you uh, you have to spend money on: housing, food and groceries, utilities, uh, mortgage, all that stuff that you need to spend money on. And then what's left over is is um, is totally up to you. Like it's. You spend money on whatever you enjoy spending money on. Right. This is sort of that like reverse budgeting uh, method. Is you you start with what's most important, allocate money there, plan to put money there, be intentional about it. Then you have the things you need. Everyone needs a certain amount of stuff to uh, just to live. But then everything else is totally free. It's open. Enjoy your life. Mm-hmm. Spend it on whatever you want to spend it on. And you've you've accounted for the things you need to do that are important to you. And now you have the freedom, the opportunity to to enjoy what you're you're working for. I think uh, this kind of maybe bleeds into the kind of the next stage, I believe, of of kind of how ODs will go through it. You know, after you as a young OD, you've at least started practice, you started getting experience. Maybe you started your own practice. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're choosing just to work as an associate, or you finally found that comfort of where you're going to spend most of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've you've got things lined up, you've got your budgeting figured out, maybe you've started a family, you've got a house, you're at least feeling some level of stability. Yep. At that point, I know for myself, kind of reaching, you know, as I think I've been practicing seven to eight years now, if I think about the numbers, mm-hmm. the I may be hitting this a little bit earlier, but just finally thinking about, okay, where do I really want to be for like retirement? Is that, is that kind of safe to say that at that point is like when people really start f- focusing in on like, how much money do I need for retirement? I think so. So here, <laughs> here's what I'll say that because uh, usually that is the point where people can, it's really, I think, sense of like a, a, now they have like the, the space in their brain to focus on that because before they're focused on just figuring out what to do with all this money and making student debt decisions. Like now, once you've kind of got more established, you're... Income is getting more stable. You mentioned stability. Like you're, you're getting a little bit more stable. 
even family life, you're, you're getting a little more settled, usually at in the, sort of like that mid-career point. Um, so that's kind of where you can start to switch your focus now towards like, okay, I can think a little bit more longer term. Mm-hmm. Um, and you highlighted a major challenge with that though, is because we, we think about, okay, I'm going to be financially independent by, you know, what, 65, 60, 55, whatever, whatever that is, but you have no clue what that life really looks like. You don't know what you're going to be spending money on, let alone all the unknown factors that are totally out of your control, like, um, Social Security benefits, um, cost of healthcare. We have no clue what the healthcare system will look like 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So there's a lot of uh, it's uh, it's almost impossible to try to put together this perfect scenario in your brain of what retirement will look like. And I don't think you need to. I, I think try to keep that pressure off of yourself. To try to try to plan this perfect outcome and, and work towards that perfect outcome. Um, I, I look at that, I actually use a metric to sort of gauge that uh, in my work with clients. And that's, it's not very complicated. It's pretty, pretty easy. It's just your current net worth divided by your um, current annual spending. And, and so what that does is it takes what you've built up in net worth, uh, all your different accounts, um, even home equity, uh, you know, any assets you have minus all your different liabilities, your debts, that's your net worth. It's, divide that by your current annual spending. That's going to tell you how many years of spending have you built up, right? Mm. It takes the focus off of this future time period in your life where you have no clue what you're going to be spending. And it really just looks at, okay, if you were to recreate your current lifestyle, like how many years of that lifestyle have you, have you built up? And then track progress from there. Um, so yeah, that seems a lot more manageable, at least uh, yes. bite-sized enough to kind of Because you, you get into, and I, I mean... I've done this. Many of my peers have done this in the past. Like you, you, you start to get into these like projections. Like, okay, now I need to project out my retirement planning. Like, well, you're projecting out 30 years away, and, and then even when you get to that point where you want to be financially independent, you then have 20 to 30 more years of your life to project out afterwards. Almost all of those assumptions are wrong. Like, you, you just mm-hmm. can't rely on something that's so far out into the future, where almost every variable is bound to be incorrect in some way. <laughs> and I, so I wouldn't You're put like wasting that, your time. Right, and I, I wouldn't put it. that pressure to rely on something like that and put all this time and energy into figuring out, okay, what is every variable going to look like in the future? Start with this simple metric. This, uh, this is like a vital sign of, of just where you are at relative to financial independence. It's just your current net worth divided by your current annual spending and then track how that changes over time. Hmm. Um, the exact number, the score you want to have will depend on every scenario. Everyone's life is different. Some people have pension incomes. Some people don't. Some people will have certain sizes of Social Security. So uh, so the, the number will change. But if you want to look for like a target range score, maybe a score of like somewhere between 20 and 30. It's kind of like your, what you're working towards. Um, that is like 20 years of your current lifestyle to 30 years of your current lifestyle. And, uh, and what's really cool about a simple number like that, a simple metric is that, uh, it will adjust based on your current lifestyle because you're bound to be spending more as you earn more, uh, naturally your, your lifestyle will creep a little bit and it will adjust for that. So if you, uh, if you find yourself early on making a lot of progress, but you're living really frugally and then you use your lifestyle changes, it will account for that too. Right? So that's what I, I really like about it too. It's not overly complicated. It's really simple. I, I track this for myself, for my uh, my own finances, and, w- and with clients. 
and uh, and that's something you can use rather than trying to trying to look too far into the future and, and really you know break your brain trying to think about every variable. I think that's a better way to look at it. That's great. I thank you for kind of breaking. For me, I'm going to have to reevaluate that and maybe discuss with my own financial advisors, yeah. like what they think of that and how they can kind of break it down for me so I have a better understanding of yeah. where I'm sitting. Yeah, and I. I think it's important, again, don't get too lost into future projections really early in your career. Mm. Focus on current health of your finances. Focus on um, on this score I just mentioned. Focus on what amount of, of your income is going towards uh, things like um, savings. So what's your saving rate, your debt to income ratio, debt, um, spending, and then taxes. Like Focus on, on that as like a, a, a vital sign of your, of your cash flow. Focus on what is the the breakdown of your net worth, how much of it is in um, retirement assets, how much of it is in like liquid stuff, like cash, things you can get access to, how much of it is in practice equity, and then real estate equity. Like those are are vital signs about your current health that will tell you something. And then just focus on making the next best decision. And, and then adjust as you go. And as you get closer to that point, like later in your career, Okay, projections become much more useful because the the numbers are are more realistic. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's what I would focus on. I know from my just experience, it has been great to just better understand and feel more comfortable with either the cash flow coming in or just understanding the the management or the future like projections. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, I'm actually living pretty well. Yeah. I'm comfortable. I feel safe. You know, I think that's a big thing early on as a student when you start, you know, like, again, you get out, you have a thousand, hundreds of thousands of student debt. You're just like, I just need a job. I just want to, you know, be able to have a roof over my head. I want to pay things. I want to be able to figure this out. And then once you kind of get into the swing of things, have that stability, you're like, okay, like, this is manageable. It actually is kind of working out. Yeah. Uh, you don't have, like, debt collectors knocking on your door. Right, right, um, right. And hopefully not, like, the IRS for anything like that. Yeah. So it's it feels good to kind of be in that safe zone and feel like you're at least on a track. You're yes. on a plan. Yes. You feel like you got it under control. Yeah, and how much of that came from, um, from like, getting things organized, though, and just having it in front of you and kind of having, like, an idea of where your money should go next? I've definitely probably all of it, okay. mainly because I... Uh, I, I think every quarter, you know, I pay quarterly taxes mm-hmm. with my business. And so I'm at least looking at my finances every few months. Yeah. And it makes, it just helps me to be like, okay, am I on track? Is things, are things making sense? Am I in danger in any way? Is there something I need to shuffle around? Um, I personally don't worry too much about where my 401k investments are all kind of going nuts because the market, I just mm-hmm. don't have that that much control over it. I just know over time, I just need to keep be keep on investing, yeah. or maybe maybe I'm wrong. That's just a kind no. Of I, I think you're right, and and the reason I ask that is because like some of the some of the biggest points of like annoyance and frustration early on with a client is like trying to get everything organized, mm-hmm. and then on the flip side, some of the biggest points of like relief and sort of peace of mind comes from having all of your finances organized in one place, so you can see which accounts you actually own, how they're titled, what are the beneficiaries, like where is your cash going, which accounts are they going to. Um, like just getting everything organized. And the earlier you can start that, the much better off you'll feel about your finances because everything's easily in front of you. Um, so and it really can be simple. You know, pull out a spreadsheet or, uh, and just start to collect like what are all the different accounts you own, uh, how are they titled, 
who are the beneficiaries? And then um, get a good understanding of like, where is your cash flow going? How much is going to your 401k? What's the match? Um, where else is your cash flow going? Like just start to collect this information and put it in one, one or a few easy spots to keep, keep it contained in um, so that you can reference it and keep an eye on it and have a regular cadence for reviewing it. Yeah. Um, out of sight, out of mind, it's easy to forget about things. And especially like you, you have a growing family, you're progressing your career. There's so much stuff that's happening throughout your life that you just forget about stuff. Things get lost. Uh, you don't know where these policies are at or state planning document. Like you just don't know where things are at. And then you, you're making decisions based on, uh, you're making decisions kind of in a silo and not really thinking about how it impacts the rest of your finances because you don't know what's going on with the rest of your finances. So like the earliest, the earlier you can just start to get organized and keep things in front of you in one place, even using things like mint, like mint.com is another way to do that. Um, the better off you'll be as your career and life gets busier. I know. I usually like to talk with my accountant a few times a year just to make sure we're on track with mm-hmm. everything that I yeah. understand. Maybe like taxes, where, where taxes is going. And then uh, my financial advisor, I usually try to touch base with them at least, definitely once, if not twice a year, just to kind of, hey, where are things at? Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything we should change? And so I, I, that's at least something that I've felt comfortable with. Yeah. But. And especially taxes, like you mentioned, like part of the... Uh, Part of the biggest headache with taxes, um, not to mention like all the, you know, any fancy tax planning stuff, but part of the biggest headache with taxes is just not being prepared to pay the tax at the end of the year. Mm. And uh, for me, it's, you know, we want to run a projection throughout the year just to make sure that you're withholding enough, that your estimated tax payments are the appropriate amount and that you're putting cash into an account setting aside to make those payments. Or maybe your, uh, your tax professional is doing that with you. Like part of the biggest headache of taxes isn't figuring out these fancy solutions of how to pay less of it. A lot of it is just being prepared. And that's what you said. It's just keeping on top of these things, talking with your professionals and, and keeping things organized. As far as um, other kind of thoughts about middle career for ODs, you know, as they're passing from, you know, they've been practicing for seven to 10 years now into the middle life. Yeah. Um, are there any other tips, thoughts that you have worked with clients uh, that you would that you'd share? Yeah, middle career is that, again, that busy time. Uh, usually families are going, careers progressing, a practice, if you've cold started or bought into a practice, practices getting more busy and, and, and uh, demanding more of your time and attention. Um, so one of the first things I'll, I'll think about is, okay, are we, um, are we keeping on track as your lifestyle is increasing? Are we keeping on track with a savings rate? For example, if we've if we're targeting like a 15 to 20% savings rate, like are we, are we still uh, keeping on, on track with the way you're using your money or uh, or are expenses becoming more of it, is debt becoming more of it? So just keeping a track of income and cash flow and how that's being used because you're, you're getting more income. Um, expenses, life is getting more expensive too. So expenses are following that. All the other things like savings rate, uh, keeping up with that as well. Um, another thing I'll think about is that Usually in this time, again, growing families, the defensive stuff becomes really important. Uh, so, for example, reviewing life insurance policies and coverage, if, you're, uh, if you've had more kids now, is that appropriate based on what you did maybe when you just got married or before? Yeah, I didn't so, think about that. So reviewing different coverages, this is something that you, you want to do regularly, but especially when there's life changes, like uh, new kids in the family, marriage, um, different things like that. 
And as your, as your lifestyle changes too, you wanna make sure that your insurance coverage is adjusting with that. So uh, reviewing your insurance policies, um, umbrella insurance is something that not a lot of people think about too, which is like, it, it's protecting you from light legal liability. Uh, and so that's, that's something not a lot of people think right. about as well. Estate planning becomes much more important here too. Um, estate planning is not something that's particularly fun for people to think about. And that's, just correct me if I'm wrong, estate planning, is that more of like your, after you pass away or handing that yeah, off Yeah, so um, estate planning sounds like something you do if you're if you're wealthy. Yeah, and, it, sound, it right, sounds like, like you've got a, a whole bunch of assets piled up. Okay, you need to do estate planning. Estate planning is just making decisions now that you wouldn't be able to make if something happened to you. So uh, uh, decisions with... Um, who gets your your stuff, your assets? Mm. Who how to how is it managed? Who's uh, who's going to be getting all my video game systems? Who's going to be getting your <laughs> yeah right your video uh, game systems? Um, who's going to be taking care of your children? Um, what happens? Who gets to make financial and healthcare decisions for you if you're alive but you you're incapacitated, you're disabled, mm. ill, whatever that yep. is? So these are all decisions that you can't make if you become incapacitated, if you become or if if you pass away. So there's a legal way to do that with uh, with legal documents. You know, there's a basic estate planning bundle. Um, talk with your your attorney. You want to really it really makes sense to get good legal advice when you're working with this stuff. A lot of people want to go to something like a legal Zoom and get these done really cheaply. Mm-hmm. All the power to you. I would much rather you talk with an estate planning attorney. Get some good advice here. So. Uh, so there's a basic bundle that most people will will um, will look at, especially as they're as they have a growing family. It's uh, a living trust usually, and maybe that depends on your state. But uh, a living trust is a part of that. Uh, a will is a part of that, mm-hmm. and then powers of attorney, um, which dictate who makes financial decisions for you and healthcare decisions for you if you couldn't. Right. So that's like the basic bundle. Uh, and, and then another thing that really impacts everybody, uh, even as soon as you start your career, is beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. Of just keeping an eye on who who is the beneficiary to your retirement accounts or your life insurance policies. Mm-hmm. Who gets them? Who's inheriting them if you're to pass away? That's something because as soon as you graduate, you start a uh, you start working. You have a 401k account. Bam! Now you have a ben- beneficiary to manage. And it's really easy to forget about those as your career progresses, as your, your family, uh, family life changes, as things uh, happen in your life. So make sure you're reviewing who is the, whether beneficiaries are named, who they are, and, and making sure that's in line with all this other life, uh, estate planning stuff. I know my father, uh, no, he's in his 60s now, but uh, he keeps on talking about we need to set up his he kind of says this is death file. Uh, yeah. uh, but I always correct him. It's not your death file. This is your legacy file. Yes. Right. I, I like to change that word around. Yes. yes. Uh, but uh, it involves kind of all those things that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's been doing this over the years, mm-hmm. but now that he's getting a little bit older, he wants to get things. He wants to re- even reevaluate and see what needs to be done mm-hmm. just so that if something tragic happened for him, uh, he doesn't have to worry about, yeah. okay, who's going to be in control of it? Where is it going to be passing to? How is all the finances going to, not just finances, but everything, how is that all going to be laid out? Yeah, and, and this is smart. something you mentioned earlier is that if something happened, like it's a huge emotional toll. Like you, you don't want finances and these decisions being a mess that adds on to that. Mm-hmm. There's so much peace of mind with just getting these things handled early on when you can make these decisions clearly. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it's not always fun. No one likes to talk about death or disability and, and, and thinking through that. It's easy to push this off because it's not really urgent on your mind usually. Uh, but this is something I, I make sure I look at it with every new client I talk with. I diagram it out, talk with them about it. If we need to talk with an attorney, we bring that attorney in because I, I feel it's so important. Everybody needs to be talking about this, uh, even if it's just the very basics of who are your beneficiaries. And going back to the question, like, well, I, I don't have a whole lot of wealth yet. Like, I'm still just getting started in my career or my practice. Like, I, I don't really have much. What is there to do? Well, you're worth a lot of money long term. Yeah. Like, so, you know, think about most of us tend to buy a house. Most of us tend to have some sort of life insurance. That can be a substantial estate. Um, plus, if you have children, it is worth every penny to make sure that you are naming a guardian for those kids yeah. and doing it on your terms. So it doesn't take a whole lot to, um, and even when you get to like the, some of the more details, like part of a, a part of a, a good part of estate planning, depending on what state you live in is like avoiding probate. You know, uh, part of it is like making sure that assets are managed the way you want if you were to, uh, to pass away. But part of it's uh, avoiding this court process of dealing with your state. And some states are 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 uh, are really onerous with that, and like California, for example, like you you definitely want to to keep all this private and out of that court system. So it, it just makes sense to uh, to as soon as you start to see a growing family, and as soon as you have a life insurance policy, like just review this stuff again, even if it's the very basic, like who are my beneficiaries and how are how are my accounts titled? Like that's that's some simple stuff that almost every optometrist can at least look at. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to make decisions all the time, but just glance at it and say, okay, has anything changed in my life? Do I need to make any adjustments? If yeah. not, then, then move on. So what about just myself thinking forward, like, gosh, where, where am I going to be at in 20 years for myself or, or for doctors who right now are listening and here, you know, they're like thinking about retirement in the next mm -hmm. seven years, five years. Like, are there certain things at that stage, that later stage that should be in front of our minds? Um, kind of maybe similar to what we just talked about, just making sure things are in line. Yeah. Um, you know, ideally, I imagine when you're close to that retirement stage, you're finally like, "Hey, I'm I'm I've, I'm doing I'm comfortable. I've got some income. I've you know thinking about selling a practice or maybe just retiring in general, changing. Um, like, where at that stage? What kind of thoughts are going through those? Yeah. So these are your, your peak earning years. Usually, um, kids are growing off the, off the payroll. A lot of the times, right They're they're moving out of the house. So you <laughs> college is paid, college is paid. Know, uh, oh, college is something we didn't even talk about, but that, that can be a whole uh, conversation in itself. Um, so you're, you're taking advantage of, of more savings opportunities as you're preparing for, uh, for retirement. Um, one thing to think about closely is, okay, what is that mix of my different net worth? As you prepare to exit or, or to be financially independent, we'll call it, as you prepare to be financially independent, uh, what is that mix between um, retirement accounts, non-retirement accounts, practice equity, uh, real estate equity? Like, Do you have a mix that's going to give you flexibility so that if you wanted to stop working, you can turn that into income? And you can do it uh, in a way that's tax advantage, you can do it in a way that's that's well planned throughout your retirement. Um, so just keep an eye on, okay, what is your, your different mix of assets? Um, reviewing these estate planning documents is something uh, you'll want to do too. If the kids are now older and adult and adults, they can make decisions for themselves. So uh, you're going to think about that a lot differently. Maybe they're married too. So you want to think about that a lot differently than you would have if they were minor children. Right? So those are things you want to uh, keep track of as well. Um, and, and 
from the practice perspective, um, you should think about how you're going to exit your practice pretty soon after you start it or buy into it. Uh, that sort of exit planning, continuation planning, succession planning is something that should be on your mind as you're making uh, business decisions throughout your career, and uh, which should line up pretty closely with like what type of business do I want to own? Uh, what does my ideal ownership life look like? How much time do you want to spend out of the practice versus in the practice? working as an, uh, as an optometrist with patients or in the practice as, as an ownership and leadership responsibilities. So if you want to think a lot through these uh, later, later years, especially as, you know, what's your ideal ownership life look like? Uh, what does your ideal lifestyle look like? And how is the practice supporting that? Because your, your business will suck every, every ounce of energy and every minute of time that you allow it to, right? So are you putting those guardrails on it to, to make sure that it's serving your ideal ownership life and not the other way around? Um, but that's, that's something you want to think about too, is, uh, hopefully you've thought about as you're getting here is how are you going to exit your practice? Um, and then I think a really big challenge is just to think about like what's next. Um, I've, I've heard retirement, uh, uh, put in the same category as like mourning for a loved one. Like a, oh, yeah. uh, you've, you're leaving your identity, essentially. I think that's huge for certainly business owners, yeah. like private practice owners. I, again, one of my um, previous employers, he is now retired. And it was, I mean, I know it was emotional for him to mm-hmm. sell his practice, right? He worked on it for 30 years. Yep. He knows everybody in the community. He's part of the community. And yep. now he's he slowly backed out, you know, a little bit less time in the clinic over, over a few years. Mm-hmm. But then finally letting go... Um, it just, yeah, that's a huge impact mentally. But then um, I don't even, I know financially he's he's fine, but like just that identity thing like yeah. you mentioned. Yeah, so think about what's next. I mean, even just a, a practitioner, like your your identity is in a lot of times inpatient care and and, uh, and providing this, this care to patients throughout your whole career and then all of a sudden that's gone, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're no longer doing that. So what's what's next? Um, and, and that's different for everybody. I, I know of one optometrist, um, Wade Whites, who started his own bookkeeping business because he loved bookkeeping. Like that was the next stage of his career. So that doesn't retirement, you know, think of financial independence, not of like you, you need to stop working, but just you want to be independent mm-hmm. of having to work so that you can do the things you want to do. Starting your second career. Right. Uh, maybe that's, that's starting your second career. Maybe that's starting a new business. Maybe that's going into research. Maybe that's just continuing to practice because you love it and you just want to do it and you don't need to, uh, you don't need to financially, but you just want to keep doing that. Yeah. So thinking about what's next becomes really important. How will you fill your time? What is your sense of purpose going to be? Uh, and that's a really big challenge. That's, that's um, a lot of people want to tie this to financial stuff, but that is a huge, a huge challenge of, of planning that point in your life. And I know a lot of, I think every doctor has worked with some patient who is gotten into retirement and then they're just like, I hate retirement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, they're like, I just, I, I, you know, they don't, they don't know what to do, do with themselves. Some people end up getting, you know, something as simple as a job at like Walmart as a greeter or something like that. Just to pass the time or get away from the spouse sometimes, right? It depends on, uh, you know, so it, it, it depends on everybody. You just, you need to figure out what's next. And uh, in the worst case scenarios, you know, different professions, not necessarily optometry, but like when they retire, their body starts to just shut down and their brain starts to shut down. So there's yeah. like mental and, and physical health concerns with like not finding something else to, to spend your time on. I don't think optometry is going to, uh, you know, optometrists really 
run into that same category, but certain other professions, like even that's a big concern. I think I know uh, just in general, and maybe you can attest to this, but in general, I find a lot of optometrists don't, they, they like to keep practicing, even if it's just like a day or mm-hmm. two days a week, because one, we love our profession. Yeah. We love the connection with people. And, um, it's something that you can do. This is kind of a cool career structure where in a lot of positions they can use an extra doctor on the weekend or, or one day a week. And especially if you passed on your practice, they may want you to keep coming in yeah. just to, you, um, may, you may have to yeah. I mean, contractually. You may have to. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, it's, uh, don't think about this retirement as this scary, like I'm going to stop working altogether. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what you want it to be. But just think about, okay, if you did not have to work, if you were financially independent of needing to work each and every day, what would that life look like to you, ideally? And then plan around that. That's great. Um, Well, this has been overall, I think, a fantastic, at least, idea of, like, especially early on in career, some of the decisions Mm -hmm. or just kind of a guidelines. What are some things I can get my ducks in a row to make me feel better uh, about least financially understanding this world? Um, and then of course in midlife and once figuring things out and then finally toward the end, as far as, uh, like your own kind of advising, I know just cause I want to give that opportunity if, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I really don't have things in a row. I don't even know who to talk to financially. Cause there's some, I've run into some trust issues with some, some other financial advisors, right? There's what's the right, what's right, the right term fiduciary fiduciary versus not. Yeah. That's, it's confusing. Um, frankly, even financial professionals don't really know exactly what all the different ways to practice are. Um, here are four questions. Like if you're thinking about hiring someone, here are four questions I would ask. And if you're comfortable with the answers, then, then go for it. Uh, number one is, is who do they serve, right? Who do they work with? Number two, what are the services? Like, what are these specific services they're going to provide for you? And what does that look like? What does that experience look like? Is there a service calendar? Are there certain things happening throughout the year? Like, what are they actually going to be doing for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, those, are, those are the first two things. Uh, and, and along with that, you'll get a feel for their experience and, and where, they, where their background is. Uh, number three is how are you paid? Because that's, that's usually an um, a indicator of what business model they're in. You're usually going to see that on sort of a spectrum. And I've... I've worked in this whole spectrum throughout my career. So I, I've seen all these different sides of it. On one end is uh, they're, they're an agent or like a registered representative. They're a broker. Uh, their primary business is to sell a financial product, um, insurance, mutual funds, like whatever it is, that's, that's just the, the business model that they work in. That's kind of their role. Uh, on the other end of it is, is purely like an advice-driven relationship. Um, the jargon is usually like a fee-only financial advisor or they they're usually they're going to have a fiduciary responsibility to you, meaning that there's there's some legal teeth in the way that they need to put your interests first and uh, and work around and limit conflict of interest and different things like that. Um, so that's the where I've landed in my career. That's where I feel is is among the best business models because it um, there are you know incentives matter. There are conflicts in uh, conflicts of interest, serious conflicts of interest when you're, you're working with someone's finances and you're, you're selling products for that. And, um, and, and so a way to a sort of eliminate or at least deal with a lot of those conflicts of interest for me, you know, based on my, my experience, was to work in a fee-only model where you're, you have a purely advice-driven relationship with that client mm-hmm. and, um, and there's no other commissions or third party that's paying you. 
It's just that. Uh, and, and then there's some in between where sometimes they're they're uh, on like that fee-only basis where they, they have that fiduciary relationship with you. And other times they're, they have products available that they'll sell. Um, and, and depending on what you want, like there are good, great, there are really good, knowledgeable professionals in all these different business models. You just need to figure out what you're looking for. If you, if you just need a certain product, if you need life insurance or something like that, like go work with an agent. Like they, people need to sell those products. Like they, they need to be available to, to the market. So go work with that person. If to, in my opinion, if you want a long-term or even a short-term like advice based relationship with a financial advisor, look for someone that's, um, again, that jargon term is fee only where there's, you're paying them directly in some way for, uh, for the work. Um, whether it's through assets or like a flat fee or hourly, whatever that is, it, it, that's that's that relationship. That's where my my sort of bias lands hmm. is to look at that. And then and then that fourth question is is what we just talked about: is do you have a fiduciary relationship with me um, at all times? At some times, what does that look like? That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for again for being here, uh, Yvonne. This is. I've learned a lot, and I hope uh, the listeners at home can can have learned from it too. Appreciate so. you having me. This is fun. Yeah, I imagine as as more changes with the economy or, or other things go on, we'll, as more questions roll in, maybe we'll have you back on and be able to ask you a little bit more. We'd we'll lo- we'll love to come back on. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, appreciate it. So that is it for today. I want to thank you for listening. I hope this conversation brought a lot of value into your life and practice. As you can tell, my guest and I give a damn about optometry. And if you'd like to support the podcast, the most meaningful and impactful way to do that is to subscribe to the show on YouTube, as well as connect with us following Odie's on Facebook and leaving us a comment. Also to learn more about our guest, sponsors, or the topics discussed today, please visit our episode page for show notes and relevant resources. Appreciate you listening, appreciate the love and support, Otherwise, I hope you have a fantastic day, and until next time, keep an eye on it, and we'll talk to you soon.